Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Now, of course, we're on air with you every single weekday morning from nine o'clock. And Pat spoke to us this morning about his views on a United Ireland and what that United Ireland might look like. But is it even important? Here's just a little of what he had to say to us just after nine this morning. There's no point in standing in front of the camera. And as I said, Leo Radker, Michal Merton, they'll pay lip service to United Ireland. But practically, when it's time to sit down and start planning and showing people what our health service, what our political system, what the guard, the police force, everything, everything has to be put on the table. People given the black and white and the options, this is what it's going to be. And then when the time comes for the referendum, they have the facts. We don't want to make the same mistake that the English made with Brexit, where you had one side spinning lies and the other side spinning their version of the truth and no facts in it. And look what happened there. But there appears to be, certainly with this government, no real appetite for, you know, showing what that vision would be or showing a plan around that. But uh, could I put it to you as well, Pat, there's there's a lot of people out there listening to us today and they're just concerned with being warm and having enough to eat. 100%. And and I'm one of those. I'm a working person. I get up at five o'clock every morning. I do not make big money. I'm one of the people that's, I pay all my bills, Myself and my wife, we go work hard. I'm I'm not living in my own little world here. Mm. I'm working class person. I think the people that are living in their own little world are the elite that have no concept of the reality in Ireland. And again, when it comes to the chance for a new Ireland, they want to delay that as no I know I'm not a conspiracy theory nut or anything like that. But I mean the facts speak for themselves. We see it. You said it yourself two minutes ago. Our government don't want to seem to address it because they want to put it on the long finger. And that's Pat speaking to me this morning just after 9 o'clock. 1800-938-007. Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors joining me in studio. Morning to you, John. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Are you Christmassy, John? Are you? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Grinch is here. You didn't even have to think about that, did you? No, I just I, I'm a I'm a New Year's guy. I love putting a year behind me and starting another one on the basis that I always believed that I might be able to do a bit better the next time out. But yeah, no Christmas. I think Christmas is a yeah. No, it's a great time when small kids. It's it's yeah. fantastic. You love to see them. Um, yeah, no, I just it's one day. It, there's so much pressure put into that one day for people. I think a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things happening for me in January as a lawyer that come out of Christmas. And right. Yeah, and yeah, and it's a sad time for some it some people, indeed, you know. Yeah. Was it this yeah, year? No. You, you had your bereavement, John, was that? Yeah, that's right. This, this that's year. Right, so yeah. that makes it all the more difficult, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. But, yeah, but uh, I'm not always cringe. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. You're going to have a look back at some uh, cases for us, John. Yeah, what, what have you got? There's a couple of recent cases which kind of caught my attention if I can try and remember them as to but there was one really interesting one or a number of interesting ones but there was one involving a lady who was married for married somebody and nine years before they died they obviously there was an amount of difficulty at the initial stages of the marriage and they separated they entered into a separation agreement then they did a separation agreement and the, the poor man then died. The lady who married him, he she filed for a divorce 
during that nine year period. He put in a defence uh, actually claiming nullity, which was interesting because you claim nullity when your argument is there was never a marriage in the first place. You look for a divorce when there was a marriage, but things didn't go right, if you know what I mean. Uh, but this situation arose when the man's mother applied to take out a grant of probate in his estate. So, as you know, when you die, <clears throat> you've got to, you don't have to, but if there are assets involved, you go through the process of, of administration, administering the estate, and usually the people entitled to take out the paperwork are you know, they're kind of designated, if you know what I mean. So obviously a spouse would be the first one entitled. Uh, and then you'd, in this particular instance, the spouse, a strange spouse, but the mother would be the person entitled if the mother was, was alive, which she is, or was, and still is, I hope. Um, so she applied to take out the grant. And the estranged wife, because they weren't divorced, then made an application to... Uh, block the mother taking out the grant probate and went into the High Court and made an application. Now the interesting thing about it from a legal point of view is that when you go, when you, if you separate um, like there's a number of different ways as we've often talked about how you deal with separation mm. but if you separate you can enter into a, what they call it, enter into, that's the term we use but anyway you can sign a separation agreement which is a legal contract whereby the parties sit down uh, and sign this document that says we've agreed that we're no longer uh, live, able to live together and we've agreed that we're going to live separate and apart and here are the terms in which we're going to live separate and apart. Now, with the introduction of divorce, obviously, and with the shortening of the period for divorce now to two years, uh, I've often suggested that the separation agreement kind of method of dealing with things isn't going to be as prevalent as it used to be prior to divorce, obviously. Yes. But leaving that aside just for a second, because this would have been pre-divorce uh, times, if you know what I mean, um, so when you go into it, when you enter into a separation agreement, when you when you do when you work out the terms of it, one of there are two terms that are not uncommon in a separation agreement. One of the terms is that you agree to waive all succession rights. So effectively what that means is that each party, if if either of the estranged spouses dies, the other party has no entitlement to their estate. Now so that was in this agreement. Mm. And the second part of this agreement would have been um, a term that would say this is in full and final settlement of any future claims that you might make. So those are the two kind of terms that you would by and large put into a separation agreement. Now, this came up before the probate court rather than before a family law court, if you know what I mean, because mm. it had to do with taking out the courts, the court that deals with applications for wills and that is different, obviously, to the family law court. So the judge was faced with an argument that was being put up to the effect that the estranged wife was saying, separation agreement, yes, I entered into it, but when I entered into it, I was under duress, 
I was suffering from depression, I was under stress, and therefore I think it should be set aside. So the probate judge is looking at this going, well, I can't make a determination on this, so I'm, how am I going to deal with this application? Uh, but the interesting thing from a legal point of view was, first of all, that the application was made. And, you know, because I hadn't seen one, an application mm. like this before. Uh, and the second thing, the second interesting or the, the other interesting thing was, how is he going to deal with it? So how he actually dealt with it, and I might just talk about the separation agreement and put that aside just for a second. But how he dealt with it, he said, well, I can't, I can't make a decision on this because obviously... I'm only the probate judge, but what I what I am deciding is I'm going to allow the mother to take out to do the paperwork side of things because obviously I can't decide whether this separation agreement has had the effect that it appears to have or not. So I'm not. I'm so I'm going to park that. But in parking it, then he said, but I'm going to put a time uh, kind of stop, a little bit of a a time period to allow so I'm going to put a stay on taking out the probate so in other words I'm going to give you six months to go and do something about this argument that you're making on the agreement on mm-hmm. the separation agreement so that's how we dealt with that uh, which which was interesting because I hadn't you know I hadn't seen one like that before yes. and I t- again when you're looking at these things as a lawyer, you kind of said, I hadn't thought about that one before. Should I have been th- thinking about it? Is that thing something I should have thought about? And then I switch on my family law uh, hat or legal, I have loads of legal hats, as you know, but I put on my family law one and I said to myself, okay, wonder now, what's, on what basis could she succeed? Now, separation agreements were the subject matter of a huge amount of discussion, legal discussion at the time the divorce came in because Mm. if you think about it the divorce and this is the argument that the lady made the estranged spouse made in this case about the fact that she was entitled to make this application because there is an argument there but her argument is very similar to the argument that was made by quite a considerable number of people who when divorce came in in this country they had been separated for 20 years, 15 years, a long period of time. Mm. And when they separated, the only way you could have dealt with it was by separation agreement. Right. There was no other way to do it. So you can imagine a situation, in fact, you, do, you don't have to imagine it because it was quite prevalent, where when divorce came into this country, there were a lot of separated people who had separation agreements and the question then that came up was how are the courts going to deal with these separation agreements in the context of divorce? Of divorce yes. And of course the answer to that, which of course is never simple to you, but the answer to that is that when they brought divorce into this country, they introduced uh, a mechanism and a way for the courts to reopen uh, separations that had happened historically. Wow. So... The one that strikes me very much, and I can't, you know, well, I say I can't remember it. I can remember the case, but like everything else, it's probably A versus B and C versus Mm. D or whatever. Mm. So it's not really relevant that you can't remember the case, but, well, it is relevant if you have, if you do an exam on it. But anyway, but in, I, I remember a particular case that struck me very forcibly was that the parties had separated some 15 years before divorce came in. He'd gone off to America 
and was hugely successful. The husband was hugely successful. Remarried in the States because during that period prior to divorce in Ireland, people would get foreign divorces mm-hmm. on the basis of residence and otherwise and therefore would be able to remarry in another jurisdiction, even though legally they were still married and aren't, as in whatever, and the whole issue, I won't even go into the whole area of foreign recognition, Mm. foreign divorce Mm. decrees, but park on that just for a second. The case that comes to mind is, so he was a multi-millionaire at this stage. When he separated, when he when he separated in Ireland and left Ireland, we won't say where he went, but anyway, when he went to other shores, at that stage, the family home gave it to the spouse and um, made a financial provision. So he divided everything that he had at that point in time, 50-50, and went on his way. He was hugely, he was hugely successful. Divorce came into Ireland. Uh, the spouse then made an application to the High Court uh, for... To proper the, on the base the proper provision hadn't been made for her and therefore under the divorce regime the court had a jurisdiction to reopen a historical separation agreement. Considering where he is now financially is that Correct. it? Correct. Wow. In the context of where he was now financially and the really interesting thing and the really interesting thing about that from a legal perspective is that, that there was a there was a judgment uh, of the Supreme Court before divorce kicked off in Ireland. So in other words, just when divorce came in in the 80s, there was a case that went to the Supreme Court involving considerable wealth uh, and everybody knew who the case was T versus T mm. and everybody knew who T was. Mm. But, anyway, but the case uh, involved considerable wealth and there was the whole issue of as to how the, it would be dealt with. And that case was at the start of the Celtic Tiger. And then at the end of the Celtic Tiger, there was a case called D&D, which revisited the whole area of revisiting uh, judicial separations or separation agreements. Because to make matters even more complicated, in Ireland, we did, we, I often have said to you in the past that I used to have a lecturer in college, an American guy, guy came over from Stanford or somewhere and lectured us in constitutional law uh, comparative to American constitutional law. But he used, used to always love using the phrase, and I can't take off the American accent, but he used to always love using the phrase that he absolutely loved the labyrinthine forces of Irish morality <laughs> vis-a-vis Irish law. <laughs> he, 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 so you had this kind of picture of a snake going, <laughs> weaving its way through of the, you know, the stupid, yes, yeah. and it, the labyrinthine forces of Irish morality. Yeah. But the whole thing about this particular case and the interesting thing about it is be very interesting to see because and this is a very long way of coming back to the case that we were at, there is provision within the Succession Act, the Charlie Hawhey Act, as I tell you, there is provision within that act that a spouse, even after uh, the breakup of marriage, can come back in to the court and say, I wasn't properly looked after at the time. Right. Okay? Now... When divorce came into this into into this jurisdiction, there is a provision in the divorce legislation that enables you, when you're getting a divorce, to ask the court to put what they call a blocking order on that particular section of the Succession Act. 
So in this particular case, you had a separation agreement, but no divorce and therefore no blocking order. So what will be really interesting to find out is what happens, you know, how successful... Right, and this, this is still ongoing, is it? Oh, it's still ongoing. Still ongoing. Yeah. This is a right. very recent case. This so case. this will be will make case law then, essentially, wouldn't it? Because is, is, will precedent be set well, with this? Well, it won't be... Well, it won't set... Pre- well, it won't set precedent, but because it's not new law that you can make an application of the Succession Act. Right. But what will be very really interesting is to see and I haven't seen it, well, and it doesn't mean that it's not there, how the courts look at a situation where there's a separation agreement, where you're now talking about a deceased uh, spouse, and you're looking at, was there proper provision made? I think, I still think you... And her state of mind. Yeah, at at the the time. time. Yes. Because, you see, any agreement is voidable at law. Right. And what I mean by that is that sometimes... Like if you enter, for, for example, if you went into a contract where you sold me something and you were uh, insolvent, for example, and the reason you sold it to me, and you sold it to me at an undervalue, the reason you sold it to me at an undervalue was you were trying to get away from the people who you owed money to and you wanted to release funds to me. That's void in law. So in other words, it just doesn't, it's, it's literally crossed out. It doesn't, it doesn't stand up as an agreement. However, certain agreements are voidable. In other words, the court, the judges, the court will look at it and say, well, actually, OK, it's a separation agreement, but because it was done under duress and because the person wasn't properly advised or because whatever, the court can make it voidable, which is the reason that the judge in this case was looking at a separation agreement and said, well, actually, it could be voidable. In other words, it could be reversed. So that's, that's the argument. Will, will you go back to the... I'm sure there's a lot of gentlemen out there listening today what? wondering about the American guy who made his fortune after the, oh, uh, the sorry, first divorce. So, and sorry, what, sorry. What happened, what happened sorry. in that case? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'd finish that one because now I can't give you the precise details, but all I can say tell you is that he had to make a substantial payment to... Right, just a quick recap. He, yeah. he, he, okay. he separated... He, he separated... Uh, there were small kids. He went off to He, he did a separation else, agreement. Did a, did a legal separation agreement, divided everything 50-50, and then went his way, went right. on his way. He still had kids, obviously, and his wife still minded, was looking after the kids because right. he was gone. But um, she then applied for a divorce 15 years later mm-hmm. when divorce came into Ireland and the courts was been the court her application to the court was I wasn't ever properly looked after right. particularly when you look and at And in her. the meantime he had remarried in a different jurisdiction He'd and he had made a fortune and he had made a fortune right. so now she was looking for a part of the fortune and and success, successfully got I feel like saying and now we'll take an ad break <laughs> <laughs> she successfully we, got we, it didn't? she succe- she succeeded but uh, there was a, there's another ca- wow. yeah she did succeed and there was quite a number of people who succeeded in what we call the second bite of the cherry now to be fair it wasn't a second bite in this instance mm. but there was a number quite a number because in Ireland the, I was talking about the Lebrinda enforced Irish morality and what what our American guy was talking about was as well was we didn't just introduce divorce in this country. We introduced judicial separation, which is the same as same divorce. Thing, yeah. It walks like a duck, talks like a duck, but it's not a duck. But it's this it has the same effect, whether it drinks I don't know what, what a duck drinks, but anyway, but the reality of it was that you had a lot of people who had judicial separations 
who again, when they got to divorce, it was reopened. But the Supreme Court, I didn't finish the story about D&D and mm. TNT. Yes. The initial case at the start of the Celtic Tiger, and then when the Celtic Tiger disappeared on us, there was another case in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, hold up a second. You don't get a second bite of the cherry. If you were looked after properly, that's the end of it. And that's putting it, paraphrasing mm, it. Mm. But it's reversed a whole load of things that were being done during that period, which is which is quite it's interesting. very interesting. Why, I, I'm just fascinated with the, the guy who went off and made his fortunes. Yes. In his jurisdiction, was it still valid that the Irish courts could decide that he was culpable and for to give money and which yes it was it enforceable yes because she applied in the Irish jurisdiction so it's 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 a it's an issue of international law you know if you sue can you where can you sue and where can well for example when divorce came into this country there was a huge debate about what they called forum shopping uh, and you know if you were a French citizen and you're in the EU and I'm talking about the EU there's a, there was a huge debate about where would you apply for your divorce. And I always remember when, when divorce uh, when came in in Ireland and a, a lady came in to me and she was, she was not Irish, let's put it that way. And she said to me, and again, if I could do her accent, I would, but I can't. But she came in to me and she said, I hear the divorce coming in Ireland. Can you tell me, give me a brief rundown on it, please? And so I gave her a brief rundown on it. And she said, OK, in my jurisdiction, this is the law. So I I, I, go, I didn't Google because I didn't have Google at the time. But when I went looking in in the jurisdiction that she was from, she would be much better off going to that jurisdiction than Ireland. So she exited and left the country, I'd say, within about two or three weeks of me talking to her in order to get a divorce in that jurisdiction because she had significant assets and under that particular jurisdiction her assets would not be wouldn't come because they were her assets they wouldn't come into the fray in terms okay. of family law whereas in Ireland they would have so therefore she returned to her country of origin so that and immediately applied for a divorce and therefore her jurisdiction took precedence over the Irish jurisdiction because she issued proceedings first. Isn't that very so in an awful lot of cases, you had what they called forum shopping. You had it in bankruptcy as well, for of example. Course, yeah. If you remember mm. a famous colleague of mm. yours Indeed. who went off... To Wales, I think, yeah, was it? Went yeah. off to England. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, literally picking the jurisdiction. He couldn't do it now, of course. But picking the jurisdiction. And family law was very much, very, very much a case that I don't have time, but I'd love to tell you... I'd love to give you the story of the other case that I read, which was a case involving cohabiting couples. And I'll give it to you in a nutshell. Um, this lady, this, this poor devil died, and uh, this lady made an application uh, as a cohabiting, cohabitee living with them in a, an intimate, committed exclusive relationship for a period of in excess of six years, five years and she said that she was entitled to get a, a you know, be looked after and the wife disagreed but the affidavits were just incredible, like the affidavits that were filed by them, I mean the story that came out, you know, you talk about when you're reading case law, uh, you know the, the human side of it but she's, the, the, the mistress 
we'll call her just, <laughs> just to make it easy. <laughs> just to be, to be conservative very about quaint, yes. The other woman, the yes, mistress. Yes. She swore affidavits about how he, he was living with her in, in her house. And the other lady swore the affidavit saying she might have been living you, but I don't think he'd live in your he'd live in your house anyway. Because who'd live in a in a, a small room with a double bed and, and just a cabinet at the side of the bed? My man wouldn't do that. And anyway, she you were renting out the ground floor, and then and this the, was all in the this is all the, in the thing. Yeah. And then another affidavit going. Well, I got half of his ashes, so that means that he was, we were in a committed relationship, and I was also on the on the RIP.ie. It was just it, like it just. Oh my God! It's it, it's terrible enough because, as you say, this is the human side of it, isn't it? Yeah, but of course it, but, it was. But, yeah. but but the serious yeah. thing the serious thing about it was that he obviously had a committed relationship with both of them, but unfortunately, under the Cohabitation Act, if you're still in a marriage, which he was. Even though you might be living with somebody else, if if that marriage isn't you're not living separate and apart from your wife, then you are you have no claim as a cohabitee. It's very interesting, yeah. isn't it? Anyway, John, fascinating as always. Fun. Thank thank you so much indeed right. for that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, much much food for and thought. That's only that's only one of them. <laughs> that's only one of them. <laughs> John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors in Clonmel. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 